The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. As we continue looking at Elihu's answer to Job, we've come to his answer to Job's complaint that God is not a good God. Job has hinted and sometimes come right out and said that there's really no profit to serving God because God's really not good to his children. Elihu reminds us that God indeed is a good God. As a matter of fact, he loved his children from before the foundation of the world, and he will never quit loving them. As we've seen, Elihu most often gets the application wrong, but here he's gotten the principle correct. We need to remember that God loves us when we're in the midst of the struggles and trials of life. Join us today as we continue looking at Elihu's answer to Job. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Who is this that comes from Jesus is your Savior. 
over to the book of Job, the uh, 35th chapter. In Job chapter 34, we had seen that Elihu, who had begun to speak uh, in, um, uh, in the 32nd chapter, and he kind of laid the groundwork, and we saw the zeal of this young man, and it was... That's a good thing in a way, but it was misplaced zeal in many ways, and we see that as we continue looking at his statements. But we see that in chapter 34, he kind of, he listed two complaints that Job had made against God. The first complaint was that God is unjust. Uh, there in verses 5 and 6, Job said, this is chapter 34, verse 5, For Job has said, I am righteous, and God hath taken away my judgment. So, uh, and he goes on to say, my wound is incurable without transgression. I'm, God's just not treating me right. We dealt with that last time. We talked about how in chapter 34 he deals with the fact that, uh, that an unjust God is an unthinkable God. We just, you, can't, you can't imagine a God. Our God is not unjust. In fact, we're told in many places that he is the, um, the righteous God. He is God the judge. He's the righteous judge. And, and I love that. I love that statement over in Genesis 18, 25, when Abraham's negotiating with God for the life of Lot and to spare Sodom, he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And that's something we always need to remember about God. He's not, it's not just that he is just, he does justly. He does righteousness. Everything he does is righteous. We, we can't question it even when we don't understand it. But praise God, he's given us to understand so much about him that we can figure it out if we'll dig deep enough that just like the doctrine of election, the first charge people bring against the doctrine of election is that it just wouldn't be right. <laughs> you know, is there unrighteousness with God? And the answer is, God forbid, you don't understand God and his righteousness. If you're charging him with unrighteousness, first of all, anything he does is right. And secondly, you don't understand election if you're charging God with unrighteousness because his election, his electing grace has to do with mercy and not wrath. We're not Calvinists who believe that there's some kind of double predestination where that God actively predestinated some to hell. We didn't need his help getting to hell. We're going there on our own. Adam sent us merrily on our way. And if God had not intervened, we'd all be going to hell. But in his mercy, his electing grace, he said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And he had mercy upon the elect. He had mercy upon his children. And that's what, see, that's what the doctrine of election is all about. It's about the righteousness of a righteous God implemented righteously, <laughs> if I can say it like that. And that's what he did. And we, sit, we saw that... Elihu was arguing rightly about this. You know, Elihu gets a lot right. He gets a lot right. And we're going to see tonight. There's one particular little nugget in chapter 35 that I hope we'll end up on tonight that's really sweet. And, and whether Elihu understood it or not completely, I don't know, but it sure is sweet to us. The second complaint was that God is not good. In verse 7, he said, What man is like Job, who drinketh up scorning like water, which goeth in company, with workers of iniquity and walketh with wicked men. For he hath said, it profiteth a man nothing that he should delight himself with God. It doesn't do any good to serve God. It doesn't do any, it's no profit to me to, to be faithful to God. That's what he's accusing Job of saying. And Job didn't maybe quite say that, but he did come close. So I, I, we'll, we'll be charitable to Elihu 
and let him, we, we won't argue the fact of what Job actually said, but, but essentially that's what he says. You've, you've charged God, Job, you've charged God with being unjust and you've charged God with there being no profit or no benefit in serving him. In other words, he's just not a good God. And we, we, we want to talk tonight about that second one because in chapter 35, this is where Elihu begins to deal with this second charge, this second complaint that Job has against God, that there's no profit in serving him. So, so let's begin looking in chapter 35 and verse 1. Elihu spake moreover and said, Thinkest thou this to be right, that thou saidest, My righteousness is more than God's? For thou saidst, What advantage will it be unto me, and what profit shall I have if I be cleansed from my sin? See, he's restating the argument there. Job, you've just said, it doesn't do me any good to serve God. My case is proof that, you know, I've tried to be righteous. I've tried to do right. In fact, God himself said in the very beginning of this book that he was the most righteous man on the earth. We're not talking about righteous in himself, righteousness that comes up from within him. This is a man who has the imputed righteousness of Christ. He's been born of the Spirit. He is already a child of God. And now as a child of God, he's been living more right than anybody in this part of the country. That's what he said. That's what God said. He said, have you, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. So he's really been doing good. He's really been doing a lot of good things. But, you know... We've always also seen that there's some pride in Job's life, and some of that comes out through all these trials. But be that as it may, this charge that Job is that Elihu says Job is making against God is that it just doesn't benefit anybody to serve him. And in these first four verses there, he says in verse four, I will answer thee and thy companions with thee. You remember, I like I always have to go back. Elihu is a young man, and he's got that zeal. And I know some, you know, I, I was lucky, I guess, Brother Buddy. I never was a young preacher. <laughs> I didn't start preaching until I was 40, you know. It's probably a good thing that I, I don't know if it's a, I could say it's a good thing. I resisted the Lord's call for a long time. But if I'd been called to preach when I was 20, I would have been insufferable. You know, nobody would have been able to stand me. I had so much zeal and, you know, I, I could just see me being, uh, needing all those years to be tempered to where I was. Brother Buddy was, what, 18, 19 years old when he was called. He had the right attitude. The Lord blessed him. He, he you know, he, he didn't need all that tempering that I needed, I guess. But this is Elihu. Elihu is a young man full of zeal. He's all excited and he thinks he knows everything he thinks he knows it all so he's going to answer job and those three miserable comforters and first beginning in verse five he begins to focus upon the greatness of god okay now remember the complaint is it doesn't do any good to serve god okay notice what he says in verse five look under the heavens and see and behold the clouds which are higher than thou if thou sinnest what doest thou against him or if thy transgressions be multiplied, what doest thou unto him? If thou be righteous, what givest thou him? Or what receiveth he of thine hand? Thy wickedness may hurt a man as thou art, and thy righteousness may profit the son of man. But to stop right there and go back to what he said initially, notice what he's saying. He's saying God is so great you think the heavens and the clouds are high above you. God is higher than that. How much higher must he be? And your righteousness or your wickedness do not add to or take away from God. 
And you know, that's, that's true. There, there's truth here. Now, now, let me just say, I think this is where Elihu and many of what I would call legalistic preachers miss the point, okay? They miss the point. But let, let's, let's don't get to that yet. Let, let me first deal with the, the facts, just the facts, as they say. And he is exactly right. Your righteousness doesn't add any righteousness to God. Your wickedness doesn't take any righteousness away from God. God is God no matter what you do. God is God whether you live righteously, whether you live wickedly. He is so high above the earth. He is so high above you that nothing you do can affect his innate nature, his righteous nature, his holy nature. It is what it is. Think about this. I read this quote from Warren Wearsby. God can't change for the better because he is perfect. And he can't change for the worse because he is holy. I like that. You know, we, we sometimes say magnify the Lord. We talk about, we read in the Psalms, oh, magnify the Lord. Oh, bless the Lord. Well, the truth of the matter is we can't magnify him. We can't bless him. We're not making him any bigger than he is, any better than he is. When we do that, that's really for our benefit. He's not saying do this in order to make God bigger. He's saying do this because he makes God bigger in your mind. See, that's the problem. The problem is not how big is God. You know, we preached a series. I preached a series some couple of years ago, I guess, uh, that we entitled How Big Is Your God? How big is your God? But we made the point because it's important to make the point that we're not talking about increasing or diminishing God. God is God. The question is not how big is he in, by, in his own nature. The question is how big is he in your mind and in your life? Because you see, God can wax and wane in your life. You can, you can make some things in this world your God. You can make your work your God. You can make your recreation your God. You can make your family or your friends or your social status or your hierarchy in the company. You can make that your God. But really and truly, when I say that, you understand that I'm really not making anybody, anything God but God. God is God regardless of how I view him. But the question is, how do I view him? And, how, and, what, he, and what, what Elihu's saying here is that God is not, you don't add to him, you don't take away from him no matter what you do, okay? Now, let, let me just say this, and I, I don't want to get too far down this trail because I didn't really intend to go here tonight, but I think this is one of the places where Elihu and his friends Miss the point. You know, you know the God, a lot of the things they said were true about God. He is great. He is mighty. He is above the heavens. He is above the clouds. But, but one of the things that, in their view of God, that was mixed up was that they viewed God as this, this distant, uh, legalistic, harsh entity that would zap you if you did wrong and would elevate you if you did right, but was operating according to a certain set of rules that they had made up and they thought applied in every case. The truth of the matter is God operates by his own rules. Okay, He operates by his own rules. And yes, he is a great righteous God. And yes, he punishes the wicked and he hates sin. But you know what else he does? In Deuteronomy chapter 32, that 
Let's, let's just start reading in, uh, in verse 1. Because this is the song of Moses, okay? This is a song Moses sang after the second. You know, Deuteronomy, Deutero means twice or second. This is the second giving of the law. You know, he gave, this, the law was given on Mount Sinai, and this is right before Moses dies. He kind of, he restates it to him again. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. And here he sings a song. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord. Ascribe ye greatness unto our God. And look at, look at where, the, where he starts. You remember in Isaiah 6, Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, and that's our view of God should be God high and lifted up. He is to be magnified above all the earth. Ascribe ye greatness to him. He is the rock, capital R rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Now, now to this point, he's exactly right. Listen, I'm not, this is, we need to keep this vision of God. Just and right, a God who is without iniquity. He, he is a God of truth. He's a God of all his ways are judgment. That's a great God. And that's the kind of God Elihu was talking about. And it's also the same kind of God. Notice what he says in verse 5. They have corrupted themselves. Their spot is not the spot of his children. They are a perverse and crooked generation. Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is he not thy father that hath bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? Notice the focus now is upon man and how depraved and how dishonorable and deceitful and corrupt man is. So far... It's not looking too good for man, is it? So far, you've got a pretty high God, a very high God, a God that's magnified above all the earth, and you've got very corrupt man. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he will show thee thy elders, and they will tell thee. And now we begin to see something that Elihu and the others have missed, I think. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance... When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Now, we're going to see, and you can go back to, I think it is the sixth chapter, where he talks about the fact that they weren't the most numerous nation. They weren't the most honorable nation. You know, you would think that God would look around and say, okay, it looks like these Egyptians, they're ruling the known world. They're the most civilized nation that we have now. And that in the time of the... Israelites they were they were a dominant power they were a world power perhaps that's the one that God would use maybe some of these Babylonians that are beginning to rise and they weren't quite a dominant world power yet but they were going to be and the Persians ultimately were going to really be a world power maybe that's who God should have divided the nations around but it wasn't them it, even this is a great high God see this is a God that you would expect would gravitate toward the high and the mighty but instead, God did not gravitate toward the high and the mighty. He chose the weak and the pitiful and the, the ones that were lesser in number and lesser in power. He says that he, uh, that he divided the uh, nation. When he gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. These were the chosen people of God. 
Now, they weren't only the people of God. We know that the people of God, they were elect children of God in every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe. But the nation of Israel was a demonstrative aid, if you will, to us to understand how God does deal with his chosen people. They were, they were the earthly uh, vehicle, if you will, by which God demonstrated his grace. And notice what he said here. For the Lord's portion is his people. I read in the Psalms where that God is our portion. I can understand that. God's our inheritance. But notice here, the Lord has a people and the Lord has an inheritance. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. Notice it says he found, notice where he found him. (laughs) He didn't find him seated upon the throne of Egypt or upon the throne of Babylon or upon some throne in China somewhere, he found him in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. Now there is a clear type here of what happens to us in the new birth. I don't know about you, but God didn't find me in the glorious temple of God doing the works of God, and then decide to born me again. He found me when I was still his enemy, when I, when I cared nothing, when I was dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Sounds like a waste, howling spiritual land to me, doesn't it? You See, that's what he did with Jacob. He found him in a desert land in the waste, howling wilderness. And Jacob is a lot of his inheritance. Now, what has all this got to do with Elihu? This is the point. All of these miserable comforter friends of Job miss the fact that God, yes, is a just God, but he loves his people with an everlasting love. Now, granted, they didn't have the book of Deuteronomy to read in that day. They didn't have the New Testament uh, writings in that day. So it's understandable, I suppose, that they might have missed that. But here, Elihu is trying to to make the point that God is so high that what you do doesn't matter. Well, definitely there's a sense in which that's true. In its most basic essence, God is not affected by what we do. But in his love for us as his people, he is greatly affected by what we do. We're told in the book of Hebrews, that we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.